I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read through 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 18. Uh, and and uh, Grace, if you can go ahead and move that slide, that'd be great. Let's prepare our hearts and our minds to, to receive uh, what Christians believe to be the word of God. This is the Apostle Paul. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what was written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also uh, will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Thanks be to God. Uh, if you are, or if you have been with us over uh, since last week, you'll know that we're in a new series and we're looking at terms other than the term Christian in order to help us understand our own Christian identity or to understand the Christian identity. In the New Testament, followers of Christ are rarely referred to as Christians. In fact, in both the Old and the New Testament, uh, there are a variety of titles, a variety of descriptions uh, that are given to the people of God. And what they do for us is more than what mere principles can do. These, these terms, these descriptions, they shape our moral imagination. And they call us into a universe in which Christians are called to be active participants. So it's one thing you might say to, to, to hear or to, or to be um, told 
sin is crouching at the door or resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's another to say, put on the armor of God because you're a soldier. Or it, you know, it's one thing to, to hear the charge, be holy for I am holy. And it's another thing altogether, as we learned last week to say that you are presently a saint because of the work of Christ and therefore live into this holy identity. Or it's one thing to be told, do unto others. And then it's another thing to be commissioned as a servant and to know the, the impact of being served so that being a servant seems more like a beautiful idea than a burden. And so this week, we're going to be looking at what it is to be a servant for Jesus' sake. And with that, we receive uh, in this passage, not just a title, but we receive an image, we receive a metaphor to help us uh, understand what it is to be a servant, what it is to live out uh, our servant likeness or our, our servantness, uh, and uh, not just to help us, but to also to hold us accountable. And what we learn here is that Christians are made for service. We're made to serve others. And we're made to serve others so that others can know that they're loved by God. So Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And so what does it mean to live out the Christian identity as a, ser as a servant? Well, let me, I'll just say two points. It's challenging. It's challenging to the head and it's challenging to the heart. Uh, it's challenging to the heart and it's challenging to the mind. And first, let's let's look at what it means to be challenged at the heart level. Um, we know that this is a challenge to the heart, and Paul knows it's a challenge to the heart. And we know that because verse four is all about what it is to be a servant, and he bookends this chapter on being a servant with two with one phrase. In two places, in verses 1 and in verse 16, Paul says, we don't lose heart. And so what he's saying is that apart from this ministry being a gift of God, Paul is saying that it's so challenging that we could lose heart. That if God was not with us, we would lose heart. Now, um, this shouldn't surprise us, right? Uh, because we know that being a servant, we know that looking after others is one of, if not the hardest of jobs. And being a servant is one of the most thankless of jobs, putting others' needs before your own, uh, thinking of others' uh, problems, others' circumstances, their situation, and saying they have priority, excuse me, that they have priority over, over me or my concerns, um, that is a tremendously hard job. It's a tremendously, uh, and it's also a thankless job, right? We know that's challenging. But maybe you're sitting here thinking, but aren't we in service to the Lord? But if you're a Christian and you're serving God uh, and he's all good and loving and powerful, right? Shouldn't that be uh, uh, different? Shouldn't that be life-giving work? Shouldn't that be soul-satisfying work? Shouldn't we, we be fulfilled by that kind of work? And the answer is, of course, yes, yes. All that's true. So what is the reason why Paul says that we don't lose heart? And I think the reason is found there in verse 5. Uh, verse 5 says that um, you can't serve God without serving people. You can't love God without loving people. 
look in verse five. It says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, right? We're not proclaiming our moral goods. We're, pro we're proclaiming the work and the person of Jesus. And then he says, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul is saying, yes, I am in service to the Lord, but my primary service to the Lord is serving you. See, you can't serve God without serving people. You can't, you can't love God without loving people. Do you see yourself as a lover of God? How do you love people? How do you serve people? See, what Paul is saying, the reason that, his, that they might lose heart, it's not because God is impossible to please. It's because humans are. Christians don't lose heart by serving God. We lose heart because we're in service to one another. See, God is, uh, we are in service to God, but it's people that are actually the most difficult. So Paul is saying out of Jesus's ministry to him, he, he lives to please God. And part of pleasing God is simply serving those leaders. And then he's talking about a very specific situation because he's writing to the church of Corinth and his relationship to the church of Corinth is, is intimate. We've talked about it over the last year and in, in particular passages, but he has a, a, a familial relationship with them. The leaders of the church of Corinth were, were brought to faith by Paul. He was their father. They were his, his spiritual children. Uh, and so Paul, as a church planter, went and he led these men and women to faith, and they planted this church. And because uh, Paul was a planter, he moved on to another church. And, and um, as he moved on, something incredible happened at the church of Corinth. They became this vibrant, vital ministry there in the city. Uh, they became uh, an affluent church. Um, and what happened to Paul was what always happened to Paul. Uh, as God continued to utilize Paul uh, and use him in really profound and mighty ways, Paul continued to face all manner of ministry hardships. But with his ministry hardships, the church of Corinth began to look at Paul and their relationship a little bit differently. And I'll just say they got it twisted. Uh, they began to compare the outward appearance of their church to his. And they began to treat Paul as if they'd outgrown him. They began to rebel against him. They began to no longer need his services, you might say. They began to not trust his, 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 his fatherly advice. And so what was happening with them was that there was a rebellion. And since we're using the, the language of servants, let me just use the language of masters. They didn't see him as, as their master, as their father. They were no longer willing to live in service, you might say, to Paul. But Paul, uh, not to Paul, but to, you know, to, um, to listen to Paul, to take Paul's counsel as their spiritual father. And of course, this happens all the time, doesn't it? it happens all the time in every office in this city, in every uh, company in this city. People are developed by somebody. Uh, they, get some, some, um, they get some wisdom, some maturity. And sometimes they naturally grow into another position of leadership. And, and that relationship is always reciprocated and, and honorable. But sometimes and oftentimes that relationships, that relationship due to a, a lack of maturity blows up. And so all the time we see that uh, people leave, leave work, they relieve relationships and those relationships become sab severed. But 
that's not actually what happens here with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, though, he's being in some real way offended, you might say. He doesn't take it as such. He simply doubles down and he says, in effect, from the beginning, I've been in service to you. And even in these rebellious fits, I still serve you in the Lord. Because your relationship to me is how is my relationship to God. God is always interceding for me. He's always loving me more than I actually deserve. He's always guiding me, coaching me, protecting me. God serves me in this ministry. He comes to my aid. And so because he does that for me, that's the ministry I have for you. And so Paul makes this a teaching moment about what true leadership looks like. True leadership is servant leadership. So serving humans is really challenging. <laughs> it's so challenging. It can make you lose your humanity. Service to others can make you faint-hearted. It can make you forget you have a heart. But apart from God, Paul says, we would have lost heart here. Apart from God, we would forget that we even have a heart. So why do we lose heart? We don't lose heart because God is impossible to please, but we lose heart because humans are so difficult. We are so difficult. So that's the first reason he says we do not lose heart because humans are hard. We're difficult. The second reason is found in verse three. He says, not only is man's hubris an obstacle, but Paul mentions in verse three, the God of this age. Now he mentions the devil, but he mentions him in a way that uh, highlights, you might say, his limited ability. And he's, and he's saying, I want to just move this through this a little bit quickly, and we can talk about it at a coffee hour. But he says that uh, in his li limited ability, the devil can keep those who are lost from God, lost. He can keep those who have rebelled from God, who've lost, who've lost God, he can keep them lost in their spiritual journey. He can keep them perpetually lost. But those who are not lost, He's more willing to help them lose what is most impactful in the world, and that is the heart of Christ in them. So losing your heart as a human being is, is common, right? We often uh, run out of steam, you might say, is another euphemism. We often, um, you know, grow weak in the knees, right? We, we, we find ourselves empty. Um, in fact, I think, and this would be, I'll say some hard things here. I think if we look at the West, if we look at the, the divisions of the church, we look at the lack of discipleship, the lack of fervor within the Christian community, this, the tremendous discord between the, the Christian community. If we look at our inability to share our faith, we have to conclude that on some level, we have either lost our heart or we never had a heart for Christ that would, that would compel us to serve. And now I'm just, obviously I'm being open, I'm being frank here, and I am including myself in this, but I say all that to say that losing your, your heart is not cute. Losing your, our heart is, is simply, it's tragic because we're always talking about eternal beings. We're always talking about eternal things. That's always the case. We're talking about humans. We're talking about people. We're talking about people created in the image of God. So it's not cute to lose our heart. It's absolutely tragic. But here's more along, along the line of the theme of this chapter, 
is that when Christians who have been sent out to serve, when we lose our heart, when we lose our motivation to care for others with integrity and humility and honesty and nobility that Paul does, when we cease to want to serve people, what we end up doing is we end up using them so that they serve us. See, when we lose our heart, we take on a completely anti-gospel posture, an anti-gospel state of mind, which is why we get frustrated with people, which is why we get short with people, which is why we get judgmental and self-righteous and impatient, which is why we'd rather get busy doing things than, than enter into the lives of people. in a service, with a service mindset. So how do we combat this? How do we maintain strength? Well, look what Paul does. Paul does something pretty interesting. He remembers. He reflects. He remembers that he's serving men out of a love for what Jesus has done for him. Yes, he loves humanity, right? But he's, when he's down, when he needs to be filled, what does he do? He remembers his love for Jesus, and he serves for Jesus' sake. Look in verse 6. Verse 6 says, for God, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that is an astounding statement. And I love the scriptures because they're full of astounding statements. But this is an astounding statement. See, here he's referring back to Genesis 1. And he's referring back to when God shone his light at, at the start of creation, when he shone his light, you know, before the Big Bang, you might say. He's saying that this same God who created the universe, who shone his light into the universe, universe to bring truth and order, right? He's done that in me. He's made me a new creation. And he does that for humanity. He does that in the lives of Christians. He puts a new heart in them. He shines their light in them. And Paul is saying the ongoing sunrise in the heart of men is what makes people not lose heart. It means, he's, it means that people find their heart. <laughs> so Paul's heart has been made alive with the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And he locates that light at the beginning of history, at the beginning of time, with the light of Jesus Christ. He says they're one and the same. One created the universe, the other created me. Made me a Christian, made me alive in Christ. And that is my treasure. That is what I cultivate. That's what I protect. That's what I live for. That is what makes me so rich that I love to serve other people. That's his mercy to me. This ministry, this servant ministry is a mercy to my very soul. Point one, being a servant is a challenge to the heart, but it's not because God is impossible to please. It's because we are, and the devil's no help. But the ongoing work of God in the heart of believers will give you light and hope and truth so you don't lose heart. Point two. Uh, um, so we have a challenge to the heart, point one, but 
Uh, secondly, we have a metaphor for the mind. And here you have this really fun, beautiful metaphor. Uh, it's right out of the ancient world. And if we just reflect on it for just a couple of minutes, you can't help but have your imagination shaped towards being more servant-minded. It gives us a great example of what it is to be a servant. Paul says that we have this, this treasure, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, not in a vault, not in an in ornate treasure chest. It's not in some elaborate ark. We have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, meaning we have this treasure in our bodies. And what we learn is that servants of the Lord, they deliver the glory of the Lord through lives of humility and honesty and integrity. First, a jar of clay, an earthen vessel, is a vessel of humility. Think about it. They're useful. They're necessary. But jars of clay were not valued by their outward appearance. They were valued by what they carried. They were defined by what they carried. They carried what? Water, dirt, grain, wine, gold. They were a humble delivery uh, system, a humble delivery device. Of course, you can imagine that some of them had ornamentation, but by and large, these jars of clay, they were basic. And because of that, they didn't draw attention to themselves, but they put the focus, uh, the focus was drawn towards what was actually inside. So they're vessels of humility. They were also vessels of honesty. You know, unlike a bottle or a, or a vase, these earthen vessels, they had very wide mouths. They, they were wide-mouthed containers. And therefore, what they carried was open for all to see, right? You know, if you were to come up to a vase, you were to come up to a, um, a bottle, what do you have to do? You have to peer inside. You have to smell. You have to shake it, you know, perhaps, because you're not 100% certain what's inside there. And if you drink the wrong thing, right, eat the wrong thing, it could be death. But these vessels, they were... They were honest vessels. Why? Because you could stand back from 10, 12 feet and you knew exactly what was in. It was easy for everybody to see. There was no hiding in them. Uh, it was no hiding what was in them. It was apparent to all. Jars of clay were an honest delivery system. But they were also, uh, they were a, a, a vessel of, I'm going to say, integrity. Archaeologists, they found these jars of clay by the thousands. They were everywhere. Why? Because they did what they were built to do. They had integrity in that way. And what were they built to do? They were built to last. They were built uh, with, to be durable. They were looked to and relied upon to put the most precious of things. Imagine living in the desert and putting, having to put your water in these things. Right? Or at the wedding of Cana, these jars of clay were what? Uh, the wine at the wedding of Cana were in. And we know, if you know that story, you know how precious that wine was, right? So they were built with integrity. They were built to withstand the pressures uh, that came, the, the, the use, the abuse that came with serving in the ancient world. They were built to endure. And in verses 8, 9, and 10, Paul is saying, we are so much like that. By the power of God, because of what is within us, we are though we're afflicted in every way, we're not crushed. We're okay. And we're often confused by what happens. We're perplexed in this world. 
but we're not driven to despair because we're filled with the knowledge of God in the, in the face of Jesus Christ. Yes, we're, we take abuse, we're persecuted, but we know that we're not forsaken. He's with us right now. And though we may be struck down, we're not destroyed. But here's the, here's the truth of the gospel. We carry in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies too. And what that means is as I experience the, the elements of life, as I experience the sturm and drong, as I, as, as I patina in life, people look less to me and they're, they, people are more astounded by the glory of God, right? They look into this, into this vase and they see through the chips and cracks of my life, they see the glory of God come out, permeate. So the, a jar of clay is a, is, a, is a vessel of humility. It's a vessel of honesty. It's a vessel of integrity, durability but it's also a vessel of nobility. Now this needs to be said. There is a nobility in serving others. Serving others is not a shameful thing. Serving others is a noble thing because strong people put themselves in vulnerable positions for the sake of others. Serving like this means that oftentimes you're not gonna get the last word. It means oftentimes you're not gonna get time to yourself. It means that you don't know how you might be utilized, but you do know that you're going to be utilized. So there's a sense of being out of control or not having control, you might say. Knowing this, uh, that God is in control in your life means that you don't have to be overly strategic. You do not have to be calculated to the point of being cunning or underhanded in, in doing the work of God and putting yourself in position, right? Because we're honest vessels. People can see from, from a mile away what is in you. And it means that oftentimes through the wear and the tear and the chips and the cracks, the wounds of our lives that people finally see and they experience the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And they see that your life is not about your moral performance or about your circumstances, which determine whether God loves you. No, it says that God loves you in spite of those things and in and through those things. So to be a servant is, a, is also a tremendously noble thing. To be a jar of clay is to be a vessel of nobility, but it's also to be a vessel of divinity. Do you know in, in Philippians 2, it says that, Jesus, that God came in the flesh in Jesus, and he took on the form of a servant. He took on an earthen vessel. He himself became a jar of clay. Now, let me ask you, is there a more noble thing? <laughs> you know, if it's not shameful for the Son of God to take on servant form, how could it be for you and I? Oh, but he did more than that, didn't he? See, Jesus, unlike Paul, was struck down and he was destroyed. Jesus Christ was crushed. He was, he was destroyed so that, so that you and I, so that, excuse me, so that he, so that you and I could be served. 
And when we enter into this kind of service, the same kind of service that he provided for us and continues to provide for us, then we are informed, you might say, by the kind of honesty and the humility and the integrity and the confidence in our durability in what we're doing is actually noble and we're filled with the glory of his divinity. See, we're able to actually live as a servant like he did because of what he did on the cross where he was utterly open and utterly vulnerable where he was honest about what he was doing and he was struck down, destroyed, crushed for our sake. And because of what he did on the cross, because of the power of the resurrection through the work of the Holy Spirit, you and I can know that we can enter into situations where we do not know the outcome. But we're not just going to survive, but we're going to serve God. And people will actually feel, and I'm hesitant to use this word, but not really, they'll feel saved. Do you serve people to the, to the degree that they feel saved? This is what it is to be a servant of Christ. Paul challenges us with this metaphor to think. You know, every person is a jar of clay. Every person is an, is, is an earthen vessel. And the question is, what are you filled up with? Are you empty? If so, do what Paul does. Do what we've been doing uh, in the last 25 minutes. Meditate on the glory of God in Jesus Christ, who came as a king in order to serve you. Never looking down on you, never being dubious of you, never treating you with, uh, without integrity, always being honest, humbly showing you his glory by his life and death. What are you filled with? Be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And when you do, you will, you, will, you will serve others to the point that they actually feel saved. And they might be saved by Jesus. But also, you'll experience mercy. See, the first thing is that he does is he reflects on Jesus. And the second thing he does, he continues to serve. When you continue to serve... This is what, and I'm not talking about burnout here, but serving is one of the ways that you're reminded of this mercy because when you serve, it's mercy to you. See, when you share this gospel treasure with others, they experience truth. His light continues to shine into the dark places, not only of the person across from you, but your own soul too. See, the truth of his gospel continues to bring illumination into your own life. And when you continue to serve, you see how the word of God becomes a revelation to those who are sitting right in front of you. And that is of tremendous encouragement and freeing. It's liberating. It's humbling for both of you. And you have an opportunity where the both of you walk away in different places, walking away convicted of sin, walking away convinced that you were, if you were to really live like this, you would know joy incomparable. This ministry is, uh, is a gift of mercy to the Apostle Paul, and it's a gift of mercy to you and I, too. Let us be servants in this neighborhood so that we're filled with the knowledge of the glory of God in Jesus Christ, so that we serve people as we've been served. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for the fact that when you call us to be Christians, you don't just give us uh, a principle, but you give us a person in your son. Lord, help us to be filled with his love so that we serve other people by his love. I pray this in his name. Amen.